0: Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Glenn Metropolit. Glenn had a 22-year pro hockey career, playing over 1,400 games around the world, including more than 400 games in the National Hockey League. I'm going to take a huge breath before telling you that Glenn's hockey career has taken him from... Regent Park, to Vernon, BC, to Nashville, to Atlanta, to Pensacola, Florida, to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Portland, Maine, to Washington, to Tampa Bay, to Helsinki, Finland, to Lugano, Switzerland, back to Atlanta, to St. Louis, to Boston, to Philadelphia, to Montreal, back to Zug, Lugano, and Baron in Switzerland, to Mannheim, Germany, and finally to his retirement after finishing his playing days for an Italian team in Austria. That's a lot of planes, trains, and automobiles. But Glenn's biggest claim to fame is that he achieved such a solid NHL and European hockey career despite never having played major junior nor college hockey and that he was never drafted by an NHL team. His story is one of perseverance and simply never giving up. It's a remarkable story for the kid from Regent Park. Welcome, Glenn, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you?
1: Thank you, Andrew. That was great. Uh, that, that was a lot of teams there. I didn't realize I played for. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, you,
0: did you keep your jerseys from some of them? Yeah,
1: I got I got a lot of jerseys hanging up uh, somewhere. But um, I'm, I'm currently in Switzerland right now. Actually, I'm coaching in Davos. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm having a blast now. I'm kind of you know I'm back in the game of hockey. So,
0: well, I do want to start with the airing of the grievances because uh, jealousy can be the only word I have. What is life like in Switzerland, and how did you combine your your two loves, Toronto and uh, being in a beautiful place?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing here in Switzerland. I'm in a small little ski town, uh, Davos, Switzerland, great history of hockey. They hold the WEF, the World Economic Forum. It's a really, uh, really beautiful place, and it's uh, my first year as a pro coach. So it's um, it's been quite a year, and I've, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And actually, today, I signed an, an extension for two more years, so... I'm I'm blessed, man. The game has got me so much, Andrew. So thank.
0: Well, well, congratulations to you. I did want to say, according to the internet, there is breaking news to share. Uh, do you want to kind of just update us on HC Davos?
1: HC Davos. Uh, what happened was, uh, I came in here my first pro season. I was assistant coach. Halfway through the year, we 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 uh, let go of our head coach, and then I became a co coach, uh, co head coach with the other assistant. Yeah, it's it's wearing a different hat, that's for sure than playing. So it's we're we're doing great. Now we're we're starting the playoffs uh, this next week, this Wednesday. And um with that being said, I signed on for another 2 years as an assistant coach. We brought in another head coach. And uh I'm happy with my growth. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great um it's a great time for me and my development, too.
0: Wow, it's fabulous. Well, again, congratulations. You. So you're living the life out there, going <laughs> Let's go, if I may. All the way back, we're going to get the Glenn Metropolis story. As noted, you are a Toronto boy. Where did you grow up? And talk about your upbringing.
1: Yeah, well, Andrew, um, where do I start? I'll start. Basically, I was raised um, in the east end of Toronto uh, from an early age down at Broadview and Queen area. And I moved around a lot with a single mom. Basically, the, the biggest part of chunk of my life was being raised in Cabbage Town, Regent Park area, you know, um... If you wanted to find Glen Metropolitan, you'd find me at the North North Region Ice Rink or the South Region Ice Rink. So, um, or the Boys and Girls Club or the Toronto Recreation Centers, which were my mentors. You know, I didn't have a dad growing up, but I've had a lot of people that were involved in my life. So that's kind of where I grew up in the East End. I was kind of, a, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time in foster homes for a little bit while my mom was trying to get uh, life straightened out a little bit. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, I can keep on going, but that's kind of where I grew up in Toronto. And then I,
0: well, you grew up in a very challenging neighborhood, the Regent Park Social Housing neighborhood, as you mentioned. Yeah. And as a teenager growing up, you saw it all. I think it's safe to say you saw crack cocaine being sold and smoked, prostitution, thefts, fights. How did you stand clear of all this kind of chaos around you?
1: I, I think it was more the love of hockey for me. right From a young age, I remember watching hockey in Canada with my uncles and uh, my, even my grandmother, and uh, I just fell in love with the sport. And with all the distractions outside the rink, Whenever I was out the rink, that brought me happiness and brought me uh, contentment, and it got my creative uh, juices flowing. Whenever I played hockey, and that was my happy place. From there, back to what you were saying, uh, the, the crack cocaine epidemic was going on, and um, I remember taking the stairwell, going to the rink, and seeing kids with their pop cans smoking nerd stuff. But that was just the everyday life for me. I didn't know anything different besides uh, you know what I saw on TV. And so that was my life and. I wouldn't take anything back. I've got great friends that are still living down that area and some, some friends that have chose the wrong path and they kind of went down the wrong road and some are not here anymore. But I think at a young age too, I just knew what was right and what wasn't right. You know, if all gut. the old saying, I really had a lot of help from back to the mentors, the people that ran the parks and recreation centers that were go after school, the coaches and even, even the drug dealers. They didn't want to see the little kids get in trouble. You know, they were protecting us. So, mm. and, you know, they were trying to make their living. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, seeing fights in those hot summer nights, you know, in the city or down, you know, me riding my bikes around the city. Um, it was kind of a, it was a life where um, for, uh, I didn't have a lot of rules. You know what I mean? I was raised by a single mm-hmm. mom and all of my friends were basically in the same, same situation. We kind of just hung out together and just ran the streets. But we weren't we weren't gangs. We weren't getting into trouble, but we were just hanging out.
0: Well, Glenn, when you were seven years old, you started playing in the Moss Park House League. Do you recall your first session, that first Saturday morning in the 80s, when your, your mom took you to the rink for the first time?
1: Yeah, actually, I do remember that. I remember playing a little bit on the outdoor rink at some point, but I remember that was being like the big uh, highlight of my going to Moss Park with my hockey bag. And so... I do remember that, actually, and I think I, my mom set me up with all my stuff. I was wearing jeans underneath my equipment, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my, my skates weren't tight, and I remember actually I, I fell and I, I got a skate. A skate actually cut my mouth from another player. Um, that might have been the first or second week of playing, but I do remember that, and I remember my, my mom giving me the last quarter that she had had so I could get on a streetcar to get to Moss Park. It's, it's unbelievable as we talk about that, Andrew.
0: And after you had cut your lip in that very first game, it didn't bother you because right after you went to the big party at McDonald's, and what happened there? <laughs>
1: That's right. And the French fries, the salt from the French fries were killing me. But was <laughs> But it so you were happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was happy at the Happy Meal.
0: The other big thing that came from your days in Toronto that will resonate with our listeners is when you were younger, you noticed somebody was training really hard running the hills of Riverdale Park. Who, who was that? And how did that change your attitude towards training?
1: Back to the point, growing up, Regent Park, we'd always play baseball. You know, for the recreation center, South Region, North Region, we did have a baseball team. So we had all the, all the, all the all the guys that played sports that stuck together. So we were playing baseball, and we, uh, I think we we're playing out in Christie Pits against another recreation center. Riverdale is where I ran all the hills, but where I saw this was at Christie Pits, and I was the the famous Doug Gilmore. Yeah, and I saw him running. The killer. I saw him running up there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Dougie G. You know, Doug Gilmore. And from then on, I, I just would I transfer that to uh, Riverdale Hill because Christy Pitts was too far on the subway for me to get to. So I was like, okay, where's the next hill I can run at? And, uh, Riverdale Hill was – we'd have a certain group of friends, Andrew, that were kind of focused on getting better. And we – on a summer night, we'd just run from Regent Park and it'd be part of our. we'd run all the way over to Br- Broadview and uh, Danforth. So we'd run down on the south you – know, on the riverside and then up – through the farm. It was just, it's what I did. And then eventually I started just doing sprints at the hill. I was at at a young age. I was always trying to get better. And if anyone told me I had to do a wall sit for a minute, I'd do a wall sit for a minute to get stronger for hockey. So i was kind of one of those kids.
0: Well, you clearly were one of those kids because you worked your butt Mm -hmm. off and eventually through a very crazy kind of path and all kinds of stops before you even got to the pros, you did make your NHL debut undrafted, November second, nineteen ninety nine, for the Washington Capitals against the Florida Panthers. You, Glenn, were on the ice for the opening faceoff. No big deal. Who were your line mates, and who did you look across the dot from you? Who's going to take this faceoff against you?
1: Yeah, um, that was a that was that was a moment where I was pinching myself and trying to tell myself, okay, don't you belong here. But I, you know, my start centerman was uh, Adam Oates, and then on the on the right wing was Peter Bondra, two great legends. Um, and then across from me that I had to beat for the puck was, uh, Pavel bury <laughs> So if anyone knows no how who these guys are, it's uh you think of a region park kid that undrafted, you know what I mean? Never really played the highest level, but worked his tail off to get where it was. I was kind of, it was the shock and awe point of my life where the pressure and everything kind of just, I couldn't believe I was there. Well, unbelievable.
0: And you remember kind of putting on the sweater for the first time? And after you got over the shock of that opening face-off, uh, do you have any memories of that first game or it's all just a blur?
1: That The first game, uh, it's, it's a little bit of, of a blur. I just remember t- trying to tell myself, don't be nervous. Play your game. You belong here. You know, the the, yeah. the stuff that you got to tell yourself, right? Don't get caught up in it. And I remember sitting there just feeling a sort of, uh, a sort of pride, you know, just uh, being so proud and just. And not only for me, it was just knowing that all the people from Cabbage Town, all my friends, everyone that's been a part of my journey, um, they were there with me, you know, even though I wasn't, you know, they weren't present. But without them, I wouldn't have been in that dressing room in Florida,
0: you know, so. Yeah, uh, what, what it must have been such a great feeling. Yeah. Now, Glenn, you, you moved on in 2003. You decided to cross the Atlantic mm-hmm. and play in Helsinki, Finland with Jokerit, which is the Jokers for two seasons you became a hugely popular player with the Joker fans who they actually had chance dedicated to you. Do you want to talk about how you got over there and your experience playing in Helsinki?
1: Yeah, what happened was um, I was with the Washington Capitals organization for three years going on fourth year, I believe. And I was getting sent up and down and I just, I, I felt like it was time for me to give a change, but because every time I'd go down into minors, I'd be fighting, I'd be doing whatever I can to get back up. And it just seemed like I just it was an, a dead end road for me. I'd get called up, sent down, and then finally we had our our firstborn Olivia, our little princess. She came along, and I was getting tired of putting her in the top drawer of the residence inn whenever I was called up to Washington <laughs> yeah, to was sleeping in that. Yeah. And we just said, you know, are you able to trade us? And they didn't trade us. So my agent at the time, Bill Zito, the current GM of the Florida Panthers right now, um, he said, well. You know, in order to get away from Washington, you got to go spend a year over in Europe. And so I got offers to go to um, Russia. I didn't want to go to Russia. It wasn't about chasing the money. It was all about proving people wrong, which I've done my whole career, my whole life. And I went there. And back to your point, you know, I was there for one season. And then the second season was a lockout year. I had Tim Thomas join me. We had a really good team. The lockout year made it to the finals. And um, yeah, back to the chant. They, had, they, they said I was pretty good behind the net. And uh, I was good on the half wall. And they... I don't know really what they were saying, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I knew they were saying Metro. So. And,
0: and in fact, uh, there was an area of the, I guess, the left face-off circle in the offensive zone became known as Metro's office, yeah. which is kind of a, an homage. Uh, of course, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, his office was behind the yeah. net. Now, you played on Jokrit uh, as number 50, and I have to tell you, you're going to have to tell our listeners about some of the uniqueness of playing yeah. In Helsinki and in Finland, the great Czech player, Odekar Janaki, who is uh, one of the few players had his jersey retired by Jokrit, his jersey was 91, but at one time his jersey was 91.1, and that's because uh, I, they're a radio sponsor. So <laughs> that would have been unique. And then I know you have some stories about different helmets you would wear and the whole. How was the uniform different playing in Europe than what we're used to here in the uh, NHL?
1: Well, uh, when I first got over there, it was. Um as everyone probably knows now it's all sponsorship we had nissan we were sponsored by everybody tat i'm surprised we didn't have to get a tattoo but we had yeah we had (laughs) sponsorship on our pants on our shin pads on our shirts and then um and as the top scorer you'd have like a every every country or the countries i played in finland would have a gold helmet like a shiny gold helmet like you'd stand right out so it was just a and I was fortunate enough to have a good enough season where I was wearing that. But at the other time, on the other hand, it was, it was a target. So I was getting hit a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so that, that's kind of what, the, what I remember of Finland. I remember the, the people were great. Definitely long winters. You know, it's really dark over there. They have long winters. But um, for hockey country, and it, it was a great experience for me.
0: Well, after your two years with Jokerit in Helsinki, you moved to Switzerland for the first time, where you won the National Liga A championship with AC HC Lugano, as well as you won the scoring title and MVP honors. What was the uh, hockey life like in Switzerland? Because now, of course, you're a coach there, but what was it like when you first got there as a player?
1: Yeah, well, um, after my two years in um, with the uh, Jokerit, I went to Hels- uh, went to HC Lugano beautiful. We're down in the Italian region of Switzerland, palm trees, uh, mountains. It's a really popular place for players in Europe to kind of go to and it happened to be a great, great season for me because I, I was playing with the greats of uh, Vili Pelton and uh, New Malene. These guys are legends for Finland. So that there was that connection. I was having a couple good years in Jokrit where they knew of me and I went to the Spengler Cup actually with Jokrit in the here mm-hmm. that they host every year. And uh, played against Team Canada, but I, I got known within Switzerland when I had a good tournament. So I had an opportunity to go there, and uh, th- here comes the other uh, another helmet I had to wear. It was a gold flame helmet. <laughs> Being a top scorer, so um, back to the old. You know, you're fortunate enough to have a good year, but at the same time, you got a target on your back.
0: <laughs> Nothing worse than telling guys yeah. that this is the guy with the flaming gold <laughs> helmet. That's the guy to go after, right? So. Now, Glenn. Also, uh, at that uh, time, because of your success over in Europe, you earned a spot on the Canadian national team for the 2006 World Championships in Riga, Latvia. That must have been quite an honor to yes. uh, to represent your country. Yes,
1: it was. It was um, after having a great year, which uh, what Team Canada did, which is awesome, is that they they had all these the German Cup because every twice twice the season over here in Europe, Andrew, they got breaks where the national teams get to stay stay together and get prepared for the World Championships in April. So. And they want to test other players. So what Team Canada does, they get all the Canadians that are over here playing in Europe, and they play in these little tournaments. And so I was fortunate enough to play, you know, in the Deutschland Cup and these little friendly matches here and there. And they always promised, or not promised, but they they wanted to take two, one to two guys for the World Championships. Almost like, you know, thank you for your services over here and being dedicated to, to the national team. And I was fortunate enough to be able to represent Canada at the you know Latvia with Sid Crosby and Bergeron, all the young guns, and my good my good friend uh, from my area, Trevor Daly, was there as well. So it was a great experience. I had a, I had a pretty good I had a pretty good World Championships, um, and then that's where I met uh, Don Waddell. And Don Waddell was the GM of the Atlanta Thrashers, and he was really interested in me, and that's the, that's what got me all that hard work in Europe. I didn't just go to Europe to kind of fade away. I was always <laughs> yeah. wanting to prove something. So. It was to go to Europe and be a leading scorer, do well, be good for my team. And sure enough, you know, I got an opportunity to get back. And then, you know, at at an age where you don't see that happening too often, you know, I was 29 or so, 20, 29, I believe.
0: You were a veteran and you, you weren't a young gun at that point. As you say, you had worked your way back 2006 based on the success. And you talk about meeting Don Waddell over there. You returned to North America. You made stops with the Atlanta Thrashers, St. Louis Blues, Boston Bruins, Philadelphia Flyers, and then at the trade deadline in February 2009, something absolutely cuckoo happened. You were taking your morning skate with your team, the Flyers, and Glenn, why don't you take it from there?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was kind of one of those years I signed a two-year deal after being with the Boston Bruins. I had a good, I had a really solid year at the Bruins. It was the year that uh, Patrice Bergeron had a concussion and he missed the whole year, unfortunately for him, but it gave me an opportunity to earn some more minutes and I really felt I played all 82 games, but there came a point where they had David Krejci, Bergeron was going to come back and Mark Savard. And I felt I proved myself as a top nine forward, at least, you know, and I didn't want to go to the fourth line and be, you know, playing seven minutes. And plus you had David Krejci, Savard, you know, Bergeron, these guys are like studs. These guys are no problem. I understand. So I had a couple offers around and then I, I signed with Philly. I thought Philly was kind of my style of player grit. You know what I mean? Like, I thought the fit was right. Went into camp. I was with Jeffrey Lupo and uh, Scott Hartnell. That was kind of the, that was going to be our line, third line, kind of grinding. Pretty, pretty good line when I I talked to John Stevens in the summer. Season went on, a lot of injuries, slumps. Guys were getting called up, sent down. I wasn't really producing, I guess, the way they expected. So, and they had a salary cap uh, kind of issues where they wanted to get guys in the lineup, free up money. And I had to talk with John Stevens. They're like, uh, you know, I guess you're aware, but you're, you're put on waivers and I got a feeling that someone will pick you up. Um, but if not, you know, be ready to play tonight. We're skating in the morning. we we'll play Montreal tonight. And I was like, no problem, whatever. You know, get out there, snap the puck around, get a little sweat on. Um, I go home, you know, I eat right, my pregame meal. I'm sleeping. I'm getting ready to go to the game, right? I'm, I'm getting ready to play Montreal Canadiens. I get a call from Bob Ganey waking up. I'm like, okay, Bob Ganey here to Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Metro, we're happy to have you. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Bob Gainey, the famous Bob Gainey, first up. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, you're, you're Montreal Canadian now. I'm going to get uh, Guy Carboneau to give you a call, the head coach. So he gives me a call. Now I'm scrambling. I'm like, wow, what is going on? I got my wife, the kids. You know, my head's everywhere. And he's like, oh, Metro, I understand. Uh, you know, we, we got you. I, I watched you play. You're, you're my type of player. I'm happy to have you. We're happy to have you. If you don't want to play tonight, I totally understand, but if you do, we'd love to have you. I'm like, you know, yeah, I want to stick it up there, you know, I want to beat Philly. So <laughs> sure enough, my wife drops me off at the at the rink. I got I got my suitcase to go to, you know, to go to Montreal after the game and then catch up with them later. But I walk by the dressing room, the Philadelphia Flyers dressing room, hi, you know, saying hi to the security guards and all this. I go in, I got my jersey, my Montreal Canadian Habs jersey sitting there in a the stall. And I play against Philadelphia Flyers that good night. night. Starting lineup with Koi, uh, Saku Koivu and Kovalev. Yeah, the story goes, my first my first shift, I get a hooking. Oh, they score a goal. Scott Hartnell. Scott Hartnell scores a goal. So I'm like, oh shit, good start. You know, I'm sure RDS is good one, yes. So um, second shift, I get a penalty. I'm like, oh my gosh, if they score, this is yo, know, this is nightmarish. I get all the penalty box, I have a breakaway, I get robbed. But long story short, we ended up winning that game in overtime, I believe. Matthew Snyder.
0: Wow. But,
1: yeah, you know, the, the, the life of a, a hockey player, I guess.
0: What could be more surreal yeah. than that? Uh, <laughs> changing teams yeah. in the same day. And then, uh, as you, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't go in the wrong <laughs> dressing room, Glenn. You knew to uh, go to the other what side. What I
1: almost did, though, is changing their bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, Glenn, you enjoyed a career-high 16 goals with Montreal, but it was, again, time to pack your bags back to Europe. You played two years in Lugano, Switzerland, two years in Zug, Switzerland, two years in Mannheim, Germany. This is where you won the German National Championship in 2015. What is a hockey championship like in Germany?
1: Oh, well, it was was a really special year for me. Back to your point, I played two in Lugano, two in Zug, and then I was going to call it today, I was going to you know, getting into real estate down in Destin, Florida, where my off-season home was. And then I got a call from Jeff Ward, my old coach from uh, the Boston Bruins. I work out all the time, and I was keeping in shape just in case or whatever. I didn't know. It was just part of my routine. And they offered me a deal, and I was like, yeah, man. You know, I got tired of being in Florida a little bit, and then I uh, went there. had a solid year with Jeff as a coach and a great team. We wanted such a great hockey town. The, the thing about European hockey is – you, if you can imagine a soccer stadium or a hockey stadium one end of it is basically your your fan your fan section where they just sing the whole game you know drums and flares and and it was just one of those experiences that uh that i was grateful for for sure
0: so glenn after this great championship win in germany you decide to play a final 34 games with an italian club in the austrian pro league and then finally retiring in 2017 what was that uh, final swing like? And then what brought you back to North America?
1: Yeah, what happened was after my two years at Mannheim, I went back to uh, Pets, uh, Destin, Panhandle, Florida area. And uh, I want to be close to my kids. And then um, I had a studio, a fitness studio that I was kind of really digging into. And um, that, that was kind of, uh, you know, I've done hockey so long and I got an opportunity to go to Bolzano in a late summer, you know, early fall. And then I I went there and it was... It's not fair to anyone else, you know, let's just call it the day, and then I, I actually left my gear in Bolzano. I left my equipment, I hopped in a plane, got back, and then I started my, uh, my journey back to Florida.
0: It sounds like for someone like you, you had to leave the equipment behind. Otherwise, you would have been too tempted to pick yeah. it back up again. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> if you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Glenn Metropolit, please check out the more than 100 additional episodes available anytime. We got other hockey stories from the ice and the boardroom, including Bernie Nichols, Bob Stellick, Anders Hedberg, referee Dave Jackson, Gino the Tank Cavallini, and Christopher Versteeg. They could all put the biscuit in the basket, so hear their stories anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. You came back to North America, spent a few years in Florida. Specifically, you were developing players in Tampa Bay and now kind of passing on your knowledge. But Glenn, I have to ask, how did your body hold up with, with so many miles on it, so many of these planes, trains, automobiles? How easy or hard is it for you today to, to get out of bed?
1: Actually, I, I feel great, Andrew. I think it's more of a, it became a habits. I've always worked out. I stretch every day. I run every day. I It just became one of those things where even when I played up to Bolzano or Mannheim, it was like every day I wanted to be the best hockey player I could be right till the end. And then after it's kind of, it went into my uh, daily life, you know what I mean? Where I try to do it, it became my medicine. You know, Even while I'm in here in Switzerland, I'm working out every day and it's just part of me.
0: Yeah, and I guess these young guns, they still want to uh, challenge you a little, you're on the ice with them. You still gotta show you got it, right?
1: <laughs> I, I try to push them a little bit when I can,
0: you know. <sighs> I want to give a shout out to a noted European hockey writer and author, Risto Pakarinen. He is a good friend of mine. We have a story going back 30 years to, I did a school semester, Glenn, in in Helsinki. And that's where I got introduced. And he showed me bandy. I don't know if you had a chance to play bandy, which is, I kind of describe it like field hockey, but with skates. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had such a great time over there. And I'm sure you did. And I know he would want me to ask you about your cultural highlights from all your European hockey. Maybe it's sauna in Finland, Oktoberfest in Germany. What do you remember being over there?
1: Yeah, he, he hit them both right on the, he- hammer, uh, right on the head there. <laughs> I do remember Finland with the hockey guys, them taking me like to a sauna party. You know, it's like, okay, what's going on here? I got my bathing suit. I thought maybe we'd just sit there and kind of just, but it was like, let's go in there. Everyone's naked. We're drinking beers. Then we're running out. We're rolling around in the snow. And <laughs> We're back in. It was quite an experience that way, and uh, yeah, that's something else. And then Oktoberfest in Mannheim, I, I made the trip to Oktoberfest uh, down in Munich. That, that was an experience. Uh, the fondue parties in Switzerland, the, the chinois, the, the meat fondue. And it's. Uh, I've been blessed, man. Hockey has given me everything, man.
0: And you're still giving back today, how'd you end up coaching in Switzerland and why don't you tell us about what's going on over there? you yeah. mentioned playoffs are starting and I was going to ask you if they do fondue with their post game beers it's <laughs> you tell us tell us about what's the status of uh, Swiss hockey and, and again how'd you get over there initially in terms of coaching
1: how how this opportunity came about was um well I was a man I had a, a skills coach that kind of worked with us uh, Angelich. he was an older man we always connected talking to hockey and stuff like that and so I ended up going back to I ended up eventually moving to Tampa Bay after I retired. And um, he reached out to me and he saw that I was doing some online Metro method kind of uh, skills coaching, you know, development stuff. He's like, Hey, Metro, would you like to come along and help me? You know, I'd I'm, I'm, love to watch you play. I want to pick your brain. I was like, Sure. He's like, Yeah, I'm coaching, I'm helping Team Turkey. I'm like, Oh, Team Turkey. Okay. So they play hockey in Turkey. No problem. <laughs> I just, hockey's for everyone in my mind. Right. So I'm like, Yeah, no problem. I'll come. Uh, long story short, COVID happened two years unfortunately, Dennis or Alex, he ended up passing away. Dennis was the head coach and Dennis was like, hey, you want, let's, let's do this for Alex. Can you still come join me? I'm like, of course, man. I went to Istanbul for a week, worked with the players, ended up going to Luxembourg, had a good showing at the World Championships, Division Three. I just loved working with the, the pro guys. These guys were just so, they wanted to get better. They were listening. And then I, I got back to Tampa Bay, which Tampa, I was doing a lot of stuff with the junior players, player development stuff, running camps. Uh, running a hockey academy and then i was like no what i want to i want to see i want to shake the bushes see if there's uh any opportunity in europe or talk to my agent so reached out to my agent he connected me with uh hc davos and i i played with the gm John Alston and the assistant coach here i knew him from my days in yokerit emlin he was my assistant coach there and my assistant coach in zoo so there's was, there's was already relationships formed there so had a great interview with them you know told them my thoughts where, where the game's going and from there it was more or less uh had a great interview and they offered me a contract to come this year and here i am man uh it's been a year of uh development that's for sure
0: well you, you certainly caught me off guard that you're uh, helping hockey in turkey and the other thing that might catch listeners off guard is you also had a experience in roller hockey
1: yeah roller hockey yeah i, I, I mean i had, that was the summer job for me after i my early days in pro uh, pro hockey, playing the East Coast Hockey League, not making much money. I'd play roller hockey, play for Team Canada too, won a gold medal. Wow! <laughs> yeah, but I, I loved roller hockey; It was great. I did it for two years, I believe, and then uh, then your summers had to be more dedicated, you know, to the gym and and I was making a little bit of money where I could really concentrate on that. But when I was in East Coast Hockey League, it was survival mode. So
0: yeah. Well, you, you did more than survive. I do want to mention in 2020, Glenn, you were inducted into the ECHL, or East Coast Hockey League, Hall of Fame. So congratulations on that. Thank you. In all your traveling, Glenn, did you learn any new languages or, or just the profanities?
1: I got a lot of profanities in all different <laughs> languages. So let's keep it that way. But it, the one thing about Europe, Andrew, is that all the teams, all the dress rooms, all the coaches I've had except Jokerit, where I had a Finnish coach that just spoke uh, Suomi, Finland finish it's all been english and even the players that were in finland it was you're at the rink then you go home you're, you're it's a lifestyle as a hockey player right you're at the home you're eating and you're back at the rink so but now that i signed an extension here in davos i'm really going to try to you know dig my heels in and learn german so i'm in a right. german area
0: well that's fabulous that's good always always rounding out your skills yeah yeah now you know more than anyone you don't get anywhere without help along the way and i know so many people you're grateful for for their help and guidance but uh glenn hanlon as a coach do you want to talk about his influence on you
1: yeah glenn hanlon he was uh he was amazing for me he was my first coach in uh the washington capital system portland maine i remember being you know I spent four you know i finally made it i thought i had a little chip on my shoulder i got up to the nhl i got sent down i went through a little period of feeling sorry for myself And he basically just really he said, Matthew, you're the only one that's going to get you out of this. You can't feel sorry for yourself, and they're not feeling sorry for you. So you got to get back on a horse and, you know, giddy up. So he taught me a lot about being a good pro, you know, diet and eating well. He was kind of like a food Nazi a little bit at the start, you know, stay away from the junk food kind of stuff, which I, I, I was a pretty good eater anyway, but he really taught me kind of the mindset a little bit at a uh, age when I was 24, 25.
0: Glenn, of course, with my friend Risto, who was Finnish-born, but now Sweden-based, he always demands. I ask questions about significant Finnish players from the past. Saku Koivu, he was a teammate of yours in Montreal, and he also played against you in Finland during the lockout year 2004-2005. What are your uh, thoughts on Saku Koivu, both as a teammate and as an opponent?
1: Um, Playing against him in Finland, um, he played for the story uh, Turku, TPS. Great history there, all the cups. He was part of that whole dynasty of all those guys. I just remember in my mindset, you know, the lockout year, I was there to kind of prove prove everybody wrong, you know. So I, I enjoyed the challenge playing against him, but when I played with him in, in Montreal, it was really special to see the leadership skills that he that he's known for. Just a great man too. All the Finns I played with, man. Not just Saku. The the whole the whole culture, the whole hockey culture there is just amazing. You've
0: seen it all from so many different angles. Just to bring it all home, back to your hometown, my hometown of to Toronto. I'm assuming you didn't get a place, a chance to play at Maple Leaf Gardens, but did you get a chance to play at Air Canada Centre, now Scotiabank Arena, in front of your hometown friends and family?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. They they got to uh, yeah. Remember my first games? Yeah, I mean they came out in droves from everywhere. You know, from the from all my kids I played hockey with growing up, my my parents. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it was always special when I went to Toronto.
0: Well, I want to uh, thank you for your time today, and I want to wish you well as you continue on there in the Swiss leagues with your coaching career, and we will see you back here. I'm sure, how often do you get a chance to get back to Toronto?
1: Actually, I haven't been back there too often, Andrew, but I'll be I'll be coming back there this summer with my kids, so I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Man. Yeah, and my mom's there and sister, and yeah, so I love the city. Fabulous. Well, I want to wish you
0: continued success, and thanks again for your thank time you, man. today. Thank you,
1: Appreciate you. All the best to you.
0: And to the listeners, we say thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of Glenn Metropolit, I am Andrew Applebaum saying, mahalo.